Will you turn to me um, in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 4? <laughs> what is it? The fifth book in the Bible? Chapter 4. A little long, but we'll get through it. Um, let's pray before we get started. Thank you, God, for this time, Lord. Thank you for all the praise reports. I just pray that you would speak to us and that you'd be glorified um, in this house and in our lives as well, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, we're going to start right off in chapter 4. Can I get somebody to read verses 1 all the way through 14? Chapter 4. Chapter 4. Yeah. Now, O Israel, listen to the status. Statutes? Statutes. Sorry. Um, And the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go and possess the land which the Lord your God of your fathers has has given you. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I commanded you. Your eyes have seen what the Lord did at Baal and Peor. For the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal and Peor. But you who held fast to the Lord your God are alive today, every one of you. Surely I have taught you um, statues that and judgments, just as the Lord my God commanded me, that you should act accordingly to them and the land which you go to possess. Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples who will hear all statutes and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. For what great nation is there that has God so near to it, and the Lord our God is to us for whatever reason we may call upon him. And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments as are in all the law which I set before you this day? Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen at least they be part, they depart from your heart all the days of the li- all the days of your life and teach them to your children and your grandchildren especially concerning the days you stood before the Lord your God in Horeb when the Lord said to me gather the people to me and I will let them hear my words that they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. Then you come near and stood at the foot of the mountain, and the mountains burned with fire to the midst of heaven, with darkness, darkness, clouds, and thick darkness. And the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of the words, but saw no form. You only heard a voice. So he declared to you his covenant, which he commanded you to perform the Ten Commandments, and he wrote them on two tablets of stone. 
And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you uh, st statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. Awesome. And so that's kind of the gist of uh, Moses' message is the last verse right there. It says, And the Lord commanded me at that time to teach you statutes and judgments that you might observe them in the land which you cross over to possess. And again, this is the new generation he wants He's teaching them to possess this land that the old generation um, wasn't able to get to because they kept wandering. If you look at the beginning of the chapter as well, um, in, the in the very first verse, it says, Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers um, is giving you. And so judgments refer to the results, uh, the results of... Um, their first generation's actions. <clears throat> and so it's kind of the same thing with us. We want to learn from um, older people. We want to learn from people that gone through certain things. We don't want to go through the way they went through it. Um, That's what Moses is teaching them. He's showing them pretty much what's happened and what the result is. That's very important when we're um, teaching others as well. We have to teach them the way we did it and how it resulted so they can do it um, the correct way. And we're going to look at some verses for some application in verse 2. is something that Moses teaches to the first generation. He's going to teach it again to this generation. And it's something that every Christian should know all the time. It says, You shall not add to the word which I commanded you, nor take from it, that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And it refers to both the word that the Lord speaks to you personally and it refers to scripture as well because this is the um, this is all God's word it's all important Old Testament New Testament John 3 16 is important and Nehemiah Malachi all that stuff all of it is important um, we're going to start with um, the word that the Lord gives you and it says do not add or do not um, take away from it uh, we add when we expect and demand things that God has not promised us and so if the Lord has given you a word, a blessing about something, we add to it when we demand further, when we think, oh, God's supposed to give me this. God's supposed to heal me from this. Um, God's supposed to get me through this in this way. That's when we're demanding. We're adding to what God hasn't promised us yet. Um, we subtract when we generalize what is specific that God has given us. And so when God is giving us a word, a very specific word, we take away from it when we generalize it. For example, if God gives you a word to, to join the children's ministry, because we can always use help in there. Um, if God's given you a word for that, and you go, oh, I think the Lord spoke to me, and he just wants me to do any ministry, you're taking away from what God has for you. You're going in a general direction, which really is the wrong direction, because God usually has a specific um, direct answer for these kind of things. And these are just examples of ways we add and subtract to the word. We don't want to generalize what is God's specific word to us. Same thing with this. He's saying, go in and possess the land. He's not overcomplicating things, but th that's what the first generation did. They overcomplicated. They blamed God for um, their problems, things of that nature. And the second part is we have to remember that we can't add to this book. We can't add or take away from this book. This is the solid love letter solid evidence. This is the grounds for everything. Um, I remember I talked with, uh, it was actually really funny. We were at a seniors pastors conference and we were on break and I was kind of bored. And Johnny's like, Johnny's like, ask that guy right there um, about the Bible. And I, he was by himself and apparently he's uh, like super knowledgeable 
Bible guy and I came up to him and I asked him, I'm like, I just started talking to him about the Bible. And then he's like, did you know that the Bible is more true than your name being Calvin is true? I'm like, I'm like, how so? And he's like, well, he's like, well, your parents could have misspelled your name. They could have filed the wrong baby. They could have dropped birth certificate. They could have switched different things. Hold on. But he says, this is all possible variables that I wasn't there to see. And it really hit something with me. I'm like, and I'm like, yeah, I don't know if I'm the right Kelvin. (laughs) And he was just telling me all these things. And he's like, he's like, these variables are the only ones I can think of too. He's saying there can be so many more. There's limitless variables for that. But he's saying the Bible has been confirmed over um, 26,000 times from manuscript alone. That's from manuscript alone. And so this book has over 26,000 confirmations from manuscript, not counting historical, not counting moral, um, cosmos, the stars, not counting personal testimony. That's just from one aspect. Whereas my name being Calvin, I could not be Calvin. I could be someone else for all we know. But (laughs) at the end, he pretty much assured me, he's like, I didn't mean to jumble your brain, but he's just saying it's an example that everything we know to be true, this is more true than it. This book is more true than anything we know to be true. Um, In Revelations chapter 22, verses 18 through 19, it says, For I testify to everyone who hears the words of of the prophecy of this book, if anyone adds to these things, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take it away, his part from the book of life, from the holy city, and from the things which are written um, in this book. And I gave some examples of how we take away and how we add unto uh, God's word. Uh, we can take away from the message of God when we leave things out or when we sugarcoat things that God doesn't sugarcoat. Because God... He has a whole message for us. And if we leave specific things out purposely, we're, we're, we're doing ourselves a disservice. Um, here are some examples of things people leave out that they think it's okay to leave out. Um, people leave out judgment. They leave out hell. They leave out um, full surrender to God. They leave out repentance. Um, they leave out change of desires because a lot of people don't want to hear that. They don't want to hear that their desires will be changed. Um, they leave out sexual sin. And the last one I put, which is really funny, because uh, you guys mentioned it. I put tithing because that's something that should be within a Christian conversation. That should be a norm for us is uh, tithing. And I remember the first time um, someone brought up tithing, they're like, have you ever tithed before? I'm like, what, is, what the heck is tithing? I've never heard of that. It was the funniest thing ever. And they explained it to me. And the moment they explained it to me, I didn't even need to look in the word of God or anything, but I knew that it's something I really should do. Yeah but I didn't want to do. It's something that I didn't need to look in here to know I should do it. It's something, it's something that I just knew I was supposed to do. But the moment, the first time I heard it, I'm like, 10%'s the standard? 10, that's, that's, kind of, that's kind of a lot. And it's really funny that um, you guys mentioned tithing because um, I think it's something that's important for the Christian to really consider because um, I heard an awesome message once. Because we're of grace, we're not of the law anymore. Um, uh, the standard is 10% in the Old Testament, but if we're on the side of grace, sh- shouldn't we give more than 10%? Uh-huh. Shouldn't there not be a set number? There sh- we should be giving um, out of the abundance of our hearts. And I put tithing is an, is an act um, not from a mature and not from a rich Christian. It's never, it's usually the people who give the most have the least to give. And it's not from a mature Christian. It's not people who know 
um, the Bible inside and out to be, you know, to grow, to be able to tithe or to have known the Lord for a certain amount of time to grow and tithe. I put um, tithing is an act from a grateful Christian. That's important because we're giving back to what God has given us all, all along. Everything we have is only from God. And again, sometimes we get this idea that, oh, maybe, you know, down the line, I'll get older and more mature, or I'll get more money and then I'll tithe. But that's not, that's not the case. The case is if you tithe, you're grateful. It's not because you're a mature Christian. It's because you're um, a grateful Christian. And I think that's an important part that we need to keep in the circulation of our conversations, keep in the circulation, you know, of our minds, because, you know, we like to obey a lot of these things. But I remember the first time it came to me, I didn't want to tithe. Now I have a job again, so you better believe I got to start tithing again. Now I'm saying this message. Steve hears this message, and Steve doesn't see my name in that tithe box. <laughs> we don't have issues. I'm going to look like a hypocrite. I don't want to look like a hypocrite. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think my first paycheck is Friday. So. <laughs> John, Johnny's ready for lunch. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and now, uh, adding to the word of God, we add to the word of God when we preach things on top of the message that is not biblical. So when we say things that are not aligned with scripture, we say things, you know, on top, we add little things to, you know, make us look better or make the message look better when the message doesn't need to look better. The message is good the way it is. Um, some examples is we put, um, a lot of churches preach salvation by works. That is something that is added. That's not something that the Bible teaches um, you don't get saved by your works. You get saved um, by grace. Um, some people like to say everybody gets saved. It's okay. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to believe anything. Um, another one is a big one. This is a big one is uh, we say being a Christian is easy. When you become a Christian, your life will be perfect and everything will be dandy and you'll make tons of money. And that stuff that is a lie. We can't promise these things. We can't say it's going to be easy because I think anyone who's been a Christian can easily testify that it is not easy. We can say it's rewarding. It is extremely rewarding. It is the most, um, without a doubt, the best decision I've ever made. But I will by no means say it's an easy position to be in, especially in the uh, culture we live in today. It's becoming every single day harder and harder and harder to become a Christian. But we have to emphasize that it's rewarding. We can't say it's easy because that's putting things on top of Scripture. When we say that, it's actually... We're, we're being very selfish and we're being um, a little bit ig- even ignorant to God because we're, we're adding to the message that he's already put out. And we're being selfish because when we say things like that, we want people to like us. We want them to go. We want them to ex- accept Christ right away. We want them to, oh, it's easy. Okay, I'll do it. But we have to give it straightforward from the start or else, you know, they jump into it and they're like, you said this was easy and now you're misrepresenting God because you said something earlier that wasn't true. Uh, we're going to go to verse 6 now. It says, uh, Therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples uh, who will hear all these statues and say, Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. And how this applies to us, because we are a nation, and God's will is that um, our whole nation, everyone on earth would be saved. Not everyone gets saved. And even people who don't get saved out in the world, there are wise and there are definitely understanding people that aren't Christians. 
So why is it that they're wise in understanding and God's will is for them to be saved, but why aren't they saved? Um, this, if you look at John chapter 3, verse 19, this is the reason. It says, and this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. And that's basically it is because people love sin. They don't want to let go of the grip that sin has on them. It has very little to do with, oh, well, people are understanding and God wants to save them. It's easy, right? Everyone should be saved. Um, that's not the case. It's kind of the same thing again. It's not um, easy being a Christian. Um, a lot of people aren't Christians, not because they don't understand the message. A lot of them do understand, but it's because they love darkness. The Bible states that men love darkness. If you look at verse 9, that should, that should give us an urgency to live out verse 9. Where is verse 9? Right here. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, unless they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren. It should give us an urgency to make sure um, our children and our grandchildren knows the truth. Because again, with this culture, each and every day, it's harder for everyone to, fi- to know what's true and um, not true. In Malachi chapter 2, verse 15, it says, But he did not make them one, having a remnant of the Spirit. And why one? He seeks godly offspring. And so children um, are a blessing. If you look at Psalm chapter 127, verse 3, it says, Children are a gift from the Lord, and they are a reward from him. And so if you have children, I know it's hard. You know, I don't have kids, but I can tell it's hard to teach kids to make sure um, they're walking in the ways of the Lord. And it's not always easy. Sometimes we're doing our very best, um, and we get discouraged. Some kids are easier um, than other kids, and it's just a different situations. And sometimes, you know, we are, you know, at the feet of Jesus begging, you know, why isn't my kid saved? Or why isn't my kid walking in the way of the Lord? And if you're doing what verse 9 is saying, if you're teaching your kids, then the rest is um, God's job. Uh, personally, when I have kids, I better believe that I better follow verse 9, that I better teach them, hey, um, this is some of the things I learned. I didn't have to go down these certain roads. I went down these certain roads. And this is the result of this situation, the result of this situation. I want you to do it this way. So it saves you a lot of hurt, a lot of trouble, a lot of ache. Um, we're going to see more about children, um, children and grandchildren later on. And I think it's just a big thing because I think God's placed it on my heart because a lot of, you know, I'm not a parent or anything, but I know a lot of you guys are definitely parents and a lot of you guys are even um, grandparents. And just remember that children are a blessing. Remember Psalm. Remember Psalms? <laughs> Psalms 127. Every time, you know, you get really mad about your kids or whatever. Um, moving on to... Uh, can somebody read me verses 15 through, let's go, 24. Take care, take careful heed to yourselves, for you saw no form when the Lord spoke to you at Horeb, out of the midst of the fire. Lest you act roughly and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of any figure, the likeness of male or female, the likeness of any animal that is on the earth, or the likeness of any winged bird that flies in the air, the likeness of anything that creeps on the ground, or the likeness of any fish that is in the water beneath the earth. And take heed, lest you lift your eyes up, sorry, lest you lift your eyes to heaven, and when you see the sun, the moon, the stars, 
all the hosts of heaven, you feel driven to worship them and serve them, which the Lord your God has given to all the peoples under the whole heaven as a heritage. But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt, to be his people and inheritance as you are this day. Furthermore, the Lord was angry with me for your sakes and swore that I would not cross over the Jordan and that I would not enter the good land which the Lord your God is giving you as an inheritance. But I must die in this land. I must not cross over the Jordan, but you shall cross over and possess that good land. Take heed to yourselves, lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God has forbidden you. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Awesome. So now Moses is talking about um, something that I'm sure we've all been through at one point or another, and it's idolatry. Um, What idolatry is, is... When I have it somewhere, I can't find it. But it's when you um, you place something above God. When you worship something as your number one instead of God, yeah, it becomes your idol. And a lot of people like to disagree with me on this. Is well, a lot of worldly people that is is they say, oh well, I don't need to worship anything. I'm just I just don't worship anything. I'm like you have to worship something. Um, if you're not worshiping the true and living God, you're gonna worship something or someone else and it's something that can't be rewired kind of it's something that um is in your system and it it can't be rewired that's something that everyone has like i know a lot of us some things um you know we've been rewired we've been taught different things um we had to change the way we think change our perspectives on certain things this is something that can't be rewired that we have to worship something. It's in our like very beings that we're going to worship something. If we're not worshiping God, we're going to worship an idol. We're going to worship something or someone else. Um, and I put, we need to make sure that we're worshiping the true and living God, the God with a capital G. Capital G, that's important. Because I like, I got this um, concept from, I saw this poster. It's really cool. It's by uh, Calvary Costa Mesa and it's a shirt that says, uh, destroy all gods, but it says it's lowercase g. And it has like a picture of like alcohol, of drugs, money, things like that. And it's what, what it's referring to is it's referring to you can't worship, you know, these false gods. And I think that's an awesome way to minister to people because people can see that and they're like, oh, destroy all gods. That sounds kind of cool. And they see it and then they learn the true concept behind it that hey, you know, you're going to worship something. You don't want to be worshiping sex, money, drugs, alcohol. You don't want to be worshiping those things. Your number one priority wants to be God with a capital G. He's the only one um, that deserves the capital G. And something that we need to keep in mind is when, it, when God isn't number one, we're, we're, we're committing idolatry. But what's, what's scary, and I think a lot of us can testify to this, is when God's not number one, He's usually not even number two. Usually he falls down. He's like three, four, five, six, seven, eight. It's easy. When God's not number one, everything goes above him. Usually he's not just the side thing. He has to be number one. That way he controls everything that's underneath him. If you look at verse 20. Verse 20. Verse 
But the Lord has taken you and brought you out of the iron furnace, out of Egypt to be his people, an inheritance as you are this day. And when you're God's children, you are his inheritance. He knows he's the very best thing for you, and he will not share his glory with everything else. It's an, he's, uh, Moses is further emphasizing, do not commit idolatry. God needs to be first because you're precious to him. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18, it says, The eyes of your understanding, being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling, what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. And so he warns us about idolatry. He's saying, you are treasured to me. You are an inheritance. You are precious. That's what he's saying. He's saying, you mean a lot to me. He's saying, I want to be number one because I know I'm the best thing for you because you mean that much to me. You're that precious to me. You are like gold to me. In verse 23, it says, Take heed to yourselves lest you forget the covenant of the Lord your God, which he made with you, and make for yourselves a carved image in the form of anything which the Lord your God had, has forbidden you. For, for the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. A sign of backsliding from the Lord is uh, two things. Forgetting his covenant, so forgetting the wonderful things God promises you, including something as simple as being his, his inheritance, because God says you're, um, you're precious to him. Your individual life is precious to him. If we forget that, then we're already in the direction of backsliding. And the second one is obvious. When you make for yourselves carved images, when you're um, idolizing something else, like back here, um, it even says they were making things of the likeness of males, females, of fish. That's the kind of stuff they were worshiping. <laughs> yeah, we, we laugh now, but, you know, in the past, we worshiped things like, you know, drugs, alcohol, sex, different things like that. Just because they were worshiping fish and yeah. females and animals doesn't make, you know, us any better. Verse, and then verse 24, uh, already said, For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. And fire in the Bible usually speaks of judgment. When it says God is a jealous God, he's not, uh, he's not jealous of you. He's not jealous, you know, of, you know, the nice things you have. He's not jealous of your cars, um, your job, your education, your brains. He's jealous for you. He wants your life again. And it goes back. It kind of connects to it. He's not just, you know, someone that's trying to hoard you. He's saying, you're precious to me, and I'm the very best thing for you. I don't want anything to come above me because I am the very best thing for you. I'm not jealous of you. I'm jealous for you. Verse, can somebody read me verse 25 all the way to 40? After you have had your children, after you have had children and grandchildren and have lived in the land a long time, if you then become corrupt and make any kind of idol, doing evil in the eyes of the Lord your God and arousing his anger, I will call the heavens and the earth as witnesses against you this day, and you will quickly perish from the land that you are crossing the Jordan to possess. You will not live there long, but will certainly be destroyed. The Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and only a few of you will survive among the nations to which the Lord will drive you. There, there you will worship man-made gods of wood and stone, which cannot see or hear or eat or smell. But if from there you seek the Lord your God, you will find him. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. 
when you are in distress and all these things have happened to you, then in later days you will return to the Lord your God and obey him. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors, which he confirmed to them by oath. Keep going? Yeah. So uh, verse 40. Oh, ask now about the ask now about the former days, long before your time, from the from the day God created human beings on the earth, as from one end of the heavens to the other. Has anything so great as this ever happened, or has anything like it ever happened? Of have I'm sorry, has ever happened, or has anything like it ever been heard of? Has any other people heard the voice of God speaking out of the fire as you have and lived? Has any God ever tried to take for himself one nation out of another nation by testings, by signs and wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, or by great and awesome deeds like all the things the Lord your God did for you in Egypt before your very eyes? You were shown these things so that you might know that the Lord is God. Besides him, there is no other. From heaven, he made you hear his voice to discipline you. On earth he showed you his great fire, and you heard his words from out of the fire. As he loved your ancestors and chose their descendants after them, he brought you out of Egypt by his presence and his great strength, to drive before you nations greater and stronger than you, and to bring you into their land to give give it to you for your inheritance as it is today. Acknowledge and take to heart this day that the Lord is God in heaven above and on the earth below. There is no other. Keep his decrees and commands, which I am giving you today, so that it may go well with you and your children after you, and that you may live long in the land of the Lord your God gives you for all time. Awesome. And so what Moses is doing, starting at verse 25, he emphasizes it from 25 through 27. Um, He's prophesizing the failure of the nation. He's saying, you know, this is what your first generation did. You can look at how faithful and how merciful God was. And it's kind of similar because he's teaching these, you know, this new generation about it. And it's kind of like us, you know, when we're in trial, we blame God. But if we take a step back and we look at the situation from a different perspective, we can see that we're in no position to, you know, be shaking our fists at God. And he's saying, you know, look, look how foolish your older generation was. And if you look at verses 25 to 27 talks about children and grandchildren as well as you look at the last verse in that section i believe it's verse 40 you shall therefore keep his statutes and his commandments which i command you today that it may go and dwell with you and with your children after you and that you may prolong your days in the land which the lord your god is giving you for all time so he's saying make sure that your children know my ways make sure that you're teaching um uh, your children, and they're also God's children, correctly. And this whole section is talking about idolatry, and it's important because kids will follow our example way more than they will listen to our actual words, way more. And if we're, you know, very obviously idolizing things other, other than God when we're putting things above God, they can pick up on it. They're that outside perspective. They see right through it. And they're going to act on it. They're not, you know, they're not going to listen to your words if they don't match the message that um, you're uh, experiencing. You're uh, interacting with them every day. 
now verses 41 and 43. I'll read that. It says, Then Moses set apart three cities on this side of the Jordan towards the rising, rising of the sun, that the manslayer might flee there who kills his neighbor unintentionally without having hated him in times past, and that by fleeing to one of these cities he might live. Be Bezer in the wilderness on the plateau for the Reubenites, Ramoth in Gilead for the Gadites and Golan in Bashan for the Manasites. And so back um, back in these times, it was it was kind of interesting, kind of neat. If you unintentionally killed somebody, you had the privilege of running to a refuge, running to safety to be protected. So like, let's say you were like, I don't know, like chopping your axe at something to cut something and the the sharp part falls off and it slices someone's neck and you did it unintentionally, you have refuge to go to. Um, the first application I got from this is because this really spoke to me a lot, this tiny section, because I unintentionally offend lots of people. I've, I've been a little bit better at it, but I'll just have, you know, weeks, you know, weeks where I come up to people, I'm just acting normal, like texting them, whatever, normal relationship, and I can tell they're mad at me, and I'm like, why are they mad at me? And I start to, you know, <laughs> rewind everything, and I'm like, what did I do? What did I say? I didn't do anything this week. And it's just me, you know, sometimes I unintentionally say things that, you know, offend people. I do things that I didn't, I didn't think, you know, I didn't mean maliciously, but they took it a different way. And what happens every time is, you know, just like this, they go to a refuge. And for us, our refuge, our safety is Jesus. And so I always ran to Jesus and I'm like, what did I do? And Jesus is like, you shouldn't have said that, or you should have said that better. And then I'm like, I didn't mean to Jesus. And I'm like, I'm freaking out all the time. I've been a lot better at it. But in the past, I would just, you know, have conversations with people throughout the week and nothing was wrong. Everything seemed good. And then a week later, and they're like, yeah, that one conversation we had, you shouldn't have said that or whatever. I'm like, sorry, I could be blunt sometimes, but, but I always run to Jesus. And not only is he my safety, my refuge, um, he also guides me. He's like, just go apologize. You didn't mean it. Like sometimes I'm freaking out to God. I'm like, God, don't shoot a lightning bolt at me. I didn't mean to insult your children. <laughs> um, and that's the application for all of us as well as now Jesus is our refuge. You know, even if we're doing things unintentionally, intentionally, whatever, we know we can come to him um, for guidance because sometimes, you know, our main person that we go to for guidance isn't is the one we just insulted and so jesus will always be there he's never biased he gives us the perfect guidance and he's ultimately not a place just for guidance he's our refuge he's our rest we go there to be renewed to be restored to get our composure together (laughs) at times um the last couple verses now this is the law which moses set before the children of israel these are the testimonies the statues And the judgments which Moses spoke to the children of Israel after they came out of Egypt on this side of the Jordan in the valley opposite Beth Peor in the land of Sihon, king of the Amorites, who dwelt at Heshbon, whom Moses and the children of Israel defeated after they came out of Egypt. And they took possession of of his land and the land of Og, king of Bashan, two kings of the Amorites who were on this side of the Jordan towards the rising sun from Aurora, which is on the bank of the river Arnon, even to, to Mount Sion, that is Hermon, and all of the plain on the east side of the Jordan, as far as the sea of the Rabbah below the slopes of uh, P- 
Pishka. That's how you pronounce it? Pishka. Um, Moses is starting to introduce God's law now. He's sharing still testimonies. He's still sharing, this is what God is doing. This is what God is delivering you guys. This is where God wants to take you guys. And that's basically what this whole book is. Deuteronomy is a reiteration of the law. It means second law. There's, you know, really no second set of laws. It's the same laws from the earlier books, but it's a reiteration to this new generation. We have a fresh start. And if you see throughout the chapter, like when he talks about idolatry, he talks about, you know, God's a consuming fire. He also talks about God's covenant, how God could have just thrown that covenant out the window, but instead God's promises stays. He's still going to bless this generation. He's still going to take them in. It shows God's faithfulness and in the next chapter, we're going to see him review the Ten Commandments. It's going to be the same Ten Commandments, but again, different context, new kids, same covenant that God wants to still do. It's still a work that God is still working in progress. He's still going to get it done. And we're going to see Moses continue to teach this, these kids. And even though it's still the same Ten Commandments, there's going to be new applications, new things that you know, Moses are going to say, he's going to make sure they learn. He's going to make sure um, that they don't follow the same mistakes that their past generation made. He's going to show them the same testimonies, different things. And he's doing it all from his perspective. He's not doing this from, um, he's not doing this, you know, I was one of them and I hated God too. He's going, I saw everything. And I don't want you guys to go through that. And we're going to see that next week. Do you guys have any questions, comments, or concerns right now? Like when you were talking about idolatry, and uh, I know like some people, like I, I've spoken to them, you know, and I'll try to share the gospel with them, and they'll tell me, well, I don't think God's like that. I think God is like this, and they'll like have their own idea, and I'll explain to them right there. I said, well, you know, what you're doing is you're, you're, you're making your own God, mm-hmm. because that's not what God is, because God is the same that he was before that he will be later. He, he doesn't change. Yeah. But you're putting your own, you know, spin on, spin on it, mm-hmm. and you're just you're 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 committing idolatry. You know, mm-hmm. right there, blatantly. Mm-hmm. Just that right there. Anybody else? Well, I love this passage of scripture because it reminds me of Pastor Jeff <clears throat> and how his moms actually did what it said what you're commanded to do to teach your children mm-hmm. and all like on the swings you would give them the word of god and we're, no matter where he was so for me um i did my best to do that with my kids and as you said it's up to them mm-hmm. you teach them you train them in god's ways mm-hmm. and then as young adults it's up to them to make that decision for themselves you say you give them roots and weeds. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and and uh, with, with that right there, too, it's like a, I've heard a, a message where a lot of people, instead of teaching them the ways of God, they teach them how to be a Christian, which is not the same which thing. It's, you know, when you're, when you're teaching your kid the lingo and how to act in church and all these other things, and then you wonder why your kid picks up and leaves church later on <laughs> because you never taught them to have that relationship with Christ rather than just teaching them how to be mm-hmm. a Christian in, in a sense. Yeah, I started out as a Catholic. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I agree. You know, all this all this needs to be integrated and in terms of a child's life. So in other words, if a child, some children would respond to this activity, but they wouldn't get certain spiritual things woven into that activity, like a birthday party or different things like that that go on. And I'm a firm believer that you've got to just weave it in all the time. Subtle. Subtle. Very subtle. subtle. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But it really doesn't have to be subtle because no, no, it doesn't have to. Who you are, yeah, yeah. You are, they'll get it. Yeah. But if it's not who you are, and you're just trying to Christianize them <laughs> in terms of the activities versus the soul, that's very important. I was talking to my daughter actually yesterday after I came home from work. And um, she was telling me that, like, uh, she was telling me this little situation that happened at school where mm-hmm. her friends are really loud and kind of obnoxious and, you know, how she, you know, they're really loud and she says that she just kind of walked away from them. And I said, well, so the, the thing, sweetheart, is your eyes are open now. You know, you've got those demonic blindfolds off and mm-hmm. you can see how your friends are acting. You know that it's not right. So you're choosing, you're already choosing God without really realizing that you're choosing God because you're walking away from it. You're walking away from the world and you're you're not, the Bible tells us that if you're a friend of the world, you're like an enemy of God. So when you walk away from the world and you choose rather to be on your own than to be with all your friends, you're already making the right decision. So. We're good. Let's pray. Thank you, God, for this day, Lord. Thank you for um, the lives here. Thank you for their children and their grandchildren. Um, I just pray that you would have this message stick inside of our hearts, Lord, and that we may apply it. Um, I pray for just Ron's family, that you'd continue to be there, continue to bring comfort and peace and joy, Lord. And I just pray that you be glorified throughout the week and throughout our lives. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen.